One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, fellow time travelers. Always great to have you with me. We travel together through time and space. It's the best way. Uh, history is all around us. It's buried beneath our feet. Literally, I can testify to that because when I was a working archaeologist, there it was. There it was. Lift the turf. Scratch around a little and you find the past lives of those who came before. A person a hundred years, a thousand, ten thousand years, you know, you can put yourself in places where they stood. And that's a spine-tingling concept to contemplate. goes without saying, we cannot tell what the future holds, but we can look back to the past and at least try and learn the lessons that were learned then, often by people much wiser than we And that wisdom might help us cope with the present. God knows we need help. And that's what this podcast series is all about. And it's a pleasure to have the company while we think about these things. If you want to support the podcast and get access to exclusive content every week, you can sign up to my patreon.com site. It's easy. Go to patreon.com, search for me by name, part with a bit of cash monthly or annually. It is cheaper if you go for the year all at once. If you do all that, it'd be great. It'd be lovely to see you there. Okay, that's the advertising over. It's now time to strap into the time machine as we set off towards the next stop in my love letter to the world. Recorder, microphone, action. A revolutionary war, hunger for strong government, and also independence within independence. Great words and declarations, articles of confederation, balancing majority decisions alongside the protection of inalienable rights of individuals, discussion, debate and finally a written constitution, the world's longest surviving written charter of government. And always there, down at the foundation level, is the base note, the power of the people. And that note, that struck chord, resonates with us still. Hi Neil. Last week we travelled with you to a small town in Switzerland and watched in horror as Europe's last witch was executed. Where are we this week? Hi Paul. Well this week we crossed the Atlantic to the continent of North America. It's the late 1780s and an extraordinary document is, is being written. It's a document that would go on to be ratified in 1788 
put into operation in 1789. It's the foundation block of a country that became, and still is, the most powerful in the world. We're off to the United States of America to meet James Madison, the man who is usually credited with writing the first lines of the American Constitution. Hi Paul, uh, and hi lovely friends and fellow time travellers. Oh, all the time at the moment, with everything that's swirling around us in the world, I'm, I, I take refuge actually in the, the, the time that we share together where we can contemplate other matters and just have a, a, a nice peaceful think. When are we this week? Well, it's really, it, it's about the constitution of the United States of America, the events leading up to it, and really the way in which, like the proverbial pebble dropped into a pond, the ripples from that soul-searching and uh, that went on around trying to frame the constitution for a newborn nation. Uh, it's never ended, really. It's an endless conversation. Um, so that, that's where we're at. And it also relates that there's a named individual involved who's James Madison, who was one of the founding fathers and was the fourth, he was the fourth president of the United States of America. But he was so much a part of the, of the conversation that led to the framing of the Constitution of the United States. So how can that not be part of the love letter to the world, given the influence that the United States of America has had and you know continues to have to this day? How do we begin? Well, this my love letter to the world begins with In Heduana, if anyone can cast their mind back that far, who was the, the first named poet. Uh, she was a priestess in service to a goddess, Back in old Mesopotamia, she wrote herself into some of the hymns that she composed, and and so she she has gone down in history as the as the first named poet, and and people so valued what she had to say and what she wrote that her work was copied and preserved and copied and preserved, so that we've still got fragments of it four and a half thousand years later, and that began a process. History is the stuff of of the written word. It's the stuff of documents. It's the stuff that people bothered to write down diaries, letters, all of that becomes fodder for or, or grist to the mill of, of history. So one piece of written testimony after another in that context and within the context of the the, the love letter to the world we've, we've already contemplated and we keep contemplating Magna Carta, the great charter that was sealed by King John. I say sealed because he, he didn't write his name on it, he just sealed it with wax and, and, and his ring. Obviously, we all know that Magna Carta enshrined inalienable rights. And more and more every day at the moment, I think about inalienable rights. It's worth reiterating. What's meant there is so profound. It, it's the idea that the freedoms that we have aren't given to us by people. They're just there. And for that reason, because they, they come from something untouchable, unseeable. No person, no fellow human being can take away those rights. And, and furthermore, you are not given those rights by any person. Don't ever be gulled into thinking that anyone gives you the freedom to live your life, the freedom of speech and the rest. They come from somewhere untouchable and untouched. And here's the most important bit of the triumvirate. You, you're not given them by a person. You can't have them taken from you by a person. But even if you decided you'd had enough and you wanted to give away 
your freedom and become a slave, you're not allowed. The invisible, the untouchable, doesn't give you that option. When your rights are threatened, challenged, it's when someone tries to take them from you. You can't just bend the knee and and roll over for that. You have no option but to fight. That's profound. And that's what it means to be inalienable. Even if you want to surrender them, you can't. Ever since Magna Carta, all sorts of people and all sorts of nations, come and gone, have sought to make reference to the freedoms that are enshrined in a document like Magna Carta. It's worth pointing out again, there was nothing new in Magna Carta. Magna Carta just wrote down again, just reiterated something that everyone knew that came from a time beyond the reach of memory. They were just being restated. It wasn't, nobody had a bright idea within Magna Carta. They were just stating what was already the case. And so that's, that's the broader context, the bigger background to this bit of the love letter to the world. But let's fast forward now to the American War of Independence, also known as the Revolutionary War. It really depends what side of the fight you were on. Um, and it began in April 1775, uh, and it, it was triggered, you know, the, the, the trigger was pulled, if you like, when British soldiers, who Britain knew there was trouble coming, those pesky colonists in America, they were getting a bit restless. And so the, the command went out, there are weapons stored at Lexington in Massachusetts, and British soldiers were tasked with going and getting those weapons, right? a little bit of a preemptive strike in one location, and shots were fired. And, and so those fired shots, that was the start of that war, April 1775. Then, of course, as everyone knows, or certainly should know, in 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed by those rebellious colonists. This was where they stated their case. I mean, it's unforgettable, everything about it. The wording of the, of the Declaration of Independence... When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. That's how that one kicks off. The fighting ended in 1781. It it was a long war. It ended with the British surrender at Yorktown. Imagine, you know, the great might of, of Britain, trounced, overwhelmed by the rebellion by Washington and the rest. So they entered, both sides entered into negotiations at that point. That culminated in the Peace of Paris. That was, that was signed in 1783. Um, but as early as 1781, there were what are described as the Articles of Confederation. That was the thinking, uh, the crystallising of the basis for a union of the states. Because it's the United States of America and at the at the very beginning, the, the various independent states, and there were only really a handful of them at the time, they were very determined that they would retain their own rights within each state, like independence within independence, if you like. And in the desire to maintain and preserve the independence and the rights of the individual states, what they quickly realised was that it left the federal government, the, the unifying government, too weak. 
the, the federal government couldn't really do anything because the, the, the independent states had, had so, quite rightly, but they had st stood up for their independence in each instance that f they, they couldn't come together on anything. And so it was in hopes of of dealing with that. It was recognised very early on, and it was in hopes of nudging everything towards closer union and therefore stronger government. Now, you can we can argue till we're all blue in the face about whether you want strong government or not, uh, but there was an objective to have a stronger federal government so that it could, under certain circumstances, speak for, for one. The matters there were settled by the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in 1787, when all the big brains sat down to try and wrestle with some of these almost intractable challenges. There were four months of consultation and talking, and then a written constitution, which was ratified in 1788. The great seal of the United States of America, and e pluribus unum, which is Latin for out of many comes one. That notion that, yes, we recognise that, we are, that we, are, we are many, but when we need to, we can also operate as a single entity, e pluribus unum. And it's exciting stuff, it's thrilling stuff, when you, really when you contemplate what, what they were attempting to do there. I mean, after all, if we look back, and this has also already been handled in the, in the love letter to the world, the Romans, they threw off the yoke of their last king in 509 BC. Right, so half a millennium before the birth of Christ, those Romans decided that they didn't want anything more to do with monarchy. And so they formed the Republic, which, which lasted for half a millennium. And so it was in 1788 that the, the Americans, as they were coming to understand themselves, they threw off the yoke of, well, King George III of, of Britain. And they declared that it was a res publica, which is more Latin, res publica. It recognises that government is a public matter, that the, the people govern themselves, and that anything to do with how the countries run is a public matter. It doesn't happen in the royal bedchamber and, you know, some diktat comes down from on high. It's something for all of the people to have a say in. And so that really sort of teases up for what I would say. We always, I always try and sort of point to a moment. Each one of these love letters is, is about a, a defining moment. You would say that in this instance, or I would say that it comes down to the framing of the first line of the Constitution. The first line of anything, first line of a novel. You, how do you, the agony that goes into making sure that it starts appropriately. And the credit for it is given to James Madison, founding father James Madison. And as I mentioned, he, he eventually he would be the, well, he was the fourth president of the United States. There's a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, American historian called Gary Wills, and he wrote a, a quite short a little slim volume biography about James Madison in which he called him this unimpressive little man with libraries in his brain, which is great. You know, so he may well have been unprepossessing and, and maybe not much to look at, but, you know, he, was, he had it all going on <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> so... He is acknowledged, James Madison is acknowledged as having been the lead architect of the document that 
that frames that is the Constitution of the United States of America. It borrowed, it borrowed, I think, unashamedly and publicly from Magna Carta, but the Constitution of the United States of America struck out on its own. It broke new ground, and I, I've always said, or I've said for a long time, that I think the United States of America is the best idea that anyone ever had for a country. Now, I don't think the dream's been realised. I don't think that what the United States of America is supposed to be has ever happened. But I don't think that takes away from how fine an idea, how fine a dream, you know, it is. So let's let's look at how that constitution begins, right? Framed by James Madison, written by James Madison. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defence, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's interesting how some words... They stir the emotions in a kind of deep way, don't they? They do. And again, you know, you say, well, did they, did they manage that? No, they didn't. Because any grand idea is always beset by human frailty. And, you know, human frailty always seems to carry the day. But the words, the intent, the dream is well stated there. And you can't, you can't really overlook, well, you shouldn't overlook the fact that Magna Carta and the freedoms enshrined there, they haunt the Constitution of the United States of America in a good way but but it's also worth noticing that almost as though the, the country that they had sought to escape from or, or you know to get out from under the, the yoke of they, it had a kind of a gravitational pull like a black hole they, they couldn't get away from it and consciously or unconsciously they created something in the United States of America that has unavoidably obvious echoes of the of the way that Britain by that point was organised you know they, they opted to have a, a president and the president basically functions you might say like a, a king so you're trying to get away from the monarchy of Britain but they still have a, a figurehead in the form of the president and you could say oh well they're elected and they every you know after two terms nowadays that's it they can't come they can't come back but there's no denying that dynasties have formed in America. So that you've had the Kennedys, the Bushes, the Clintons. And it's anybody's guess now whether there will be, you know, another Obama president or, or a young Trump, you know, a Trump Jr., you know, getting in. Because whether they wanted to or not, they haven't been able to avoid the, the way in which, you know, families form. And dynasties are there that, that have more of a, a chance at taking hold of the levers of power than, than anybody else. I often think you, you could really just say that what's bred in the bone will not out of the flesh. The people who, who rebelled, who sought independence from Britain and, and became Americans, they were British first. That's what produced them. They were British before they were anything else, really. They, they had British sensibilities. And yes, they became Americans and they, they identified as Americans. 
but so much of what was Britain and British was just was just there. It, it was in their DNA, and they couldn't, they didn't really fight free of it. And in any event, what they were trying to do, which is laudable, was to put the power of the people front and centre. Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, would invoke his fellow citizens three times in just the single line with which he concluded his Gettysburg Address on the 19th of November 1863, in the teeth of the American Civil War, where he talks about the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. What the people writing the Constitution, framing the thought, had, had always to contend with was, and it's impossible, I think, I don't think you can actually, I don't think there's a, a solution to this particular conundrum. But if you're after a democracy, or a republic, whatever, how do you balance the rights of the majority alongside the inalienable rights of the individual? Because you would say, most people, without thinking about it too much, would say, oh, well, if you've got 100 people and you know 99 people want to go one way, then the one person should just get dragged along by the scruff of his neck. Or, is that how do you do it? So how do you how do you respect? Because also enshrined within Magna Carta and in common law, and it, and, it, and it is there in the Constitution of the United States, is the sovereignty of the individual. You know, you don't want to, under any circumstances, run roughshod or over or de, or in any way deny the rights of the sovereign individual. But then you're saying, oh, but we need to make we need to make majority decisions. It's very difficult. Well. As, is, as history has shown, America went stumbling into its civil war within a lifetime of the framing of the Constitution. In that document, it was almost, metaphorically speaking, torn to bits, and the Union was almost rent asunder. And as we see around us, every moment of every day, right now, that struggle, that eternal struggle, is still being fought how do you bring together, how do you balance the rights of the majority against the rights of the sovereign individual? The founding fathers did their best, but there's no final solution to that problem. So it is the world's longest surviving written charter of government then? Well, it is a written constitution. Well famously Britain doesn't have a written constitution it's an unwritten constitution which is which is really a kind of a legal fiction in a way because there is plenty of stuff written down but you know um, yeah you could you could you could state that you could make that statement about the constitution of the United States of America it's interesting that a document like that had has had such power not just in America but around the world as well isn't it I mean what it makes me think about always is how you know it's written in the you know the back end of the 18th century you know by by people who were born and raised from the you know from much closer to the beginning of the 18th century and they were so learned in in a in a way that we just don't get near they all wrote and spoke like Latin and Greek, you know, and they they were able to when they were when they were thinking about how to have their republic, they were able to reach into 
ancient Greek and the, and the, and the works of the philosophers and and they were they were learned about maths and about astronomy and you know natural philosophy of you know sciences as it was conceived of at the time and we dare to sort of look back and think of people from the 18th century as you know maybe not not knowing what we know and they, and they lived in circumstances unimaginable really and we take for granted a lifestyle that would be beyond the dreams of avarice for Ben Franklin and the and the rest of them, you know what we you know the, our access to the internet and you know the all of it luxury plenty abundance and all of that, and yet and yet when you contemplate what they had going on in their heads that that line about this un, this unimpressive little man with libraries in his brain <laughs> that's what these guys were like, and mm-hmm. they, and they were it's all men, but you know. No doubt they were talking to their wives if they had any sense as well, and anonymously or not, there'll be there'll be there'll be women's thinking in it as well as men's, but they don't get credited or referenced. But what those people were drawing upon, just from the contents of their own heads, makes me weak at the knees. Amle and Leila. The fun of the roads goes too far and a child is conceived. Known to his mother as Umlwana, a little blazing fire, he becomes king of the Zulus and lays the foundations for his people's greatness. Under his descendants, the kingdom flowers and the Zulu spirit born of his rule bloodies the nose of the mighty British Empire. Next time in my love letter to the world... To help support this podcast and to get access to new and exclusive history and comment vodcasts every week, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. I'd love to see you there. Check out my shop for some uh, series-related merch, t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, the works. Uh, You'll find the details attached down here somewhere. Uh, my Instagram account with great daily updates is called Neil Oliver Love Letter. My YouTube channel is simply called The Neil Oliver Channel and it features new films every week. And to help build this podcast, please tell your friends about it, get them listening, write a review to convince the online crowd to join us. For further reading about these moments in time, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the World in 100 Moments and it's published by Transworld. Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the World is produced by Paul Ratcliffe and Neil Oliver for Catnip Inc. Music is composed by Milo McKinnon. Social media and YouTube producer is Oscar CFR. Additional research is by Evie, Lucy and Archie and Teddy. Finance is by Catherine and Trudy. The post-production is by Squared Studios and the graphics are by Paul Plowman. Thanks for listening. This has been a Catnip Inc. podcast's production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.